Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. This is Vernon Oaks, this bright and beautiful Thursday morning. And we're going to talk about rainwater today. Uh, rainwater in the Chesapeake Bay is called stormwater management. Uh, you know, this business of managing the rainwater can grow to 8 to $12 billion. That's with a capital B. 8 to $12 billion will be spent in this region, in this Washington, D.C. metropolitan region, to retrofit and how this rain comes down and where it goes, uh, and so we can do it more environmentally friendly. And today on the show to talk about this phenomena is Andrew Gartz. Andrew, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Vernon. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I've always liked walking in the rain, but I never think about it from an environmental standpoint. How does this affect this area, metropolitan area, this rainwater, where it's not environmentally friendly. Well, you got to keep in mind the big picture. We live on a water planet, and our water cr- connects everything and connects everything we do on the land with everything else around us. And the rainwater is part of that cycle. You know, you probably learned about the water cycle as a little kid back in school. And the rain's a very important piece of this, but as the rain comes down, while it's falling through, say, dirty air, it's picking up pollutants on its way down. And then when it hits the ground, you know, if it hits a nice, beautiful piece of forest with good, healthy uh, mulch and, and ground and vegetation, it soaks into the ground, it recharges the aquifer, it feeds the plants, uh, it evapotranspirates back into the air, and it really is is part of the healthy cycle, flows down into the streams, the little critters benefit from it. But when it runs across rooftops, parking lots, industrial facilities, automobiles, it picks up the pollutants as it's going by. And as we create, as we man, create more hard surfaces for the rain to run across, we have to give this water a chance to slow down, cool off, get filtered, and get cleaned. And we found through years of of trial and error that the best way to do this is to mimic natural processes slow it down, make it flow through plants, through uh, rocky beds, let it filter, let it feed the plants, let it lose some of those pollutants and use the nutrient components of those pollutants positively to grow more green things rather than to create pollutant loadings in our surface water where you get these big algae blooms that create dead zones. Okay, so you've taken me all the way back to the sixth or seventh grade. Okay, I haven't thought about it a whole lot, except for I do property management. I manage apartment buildings, condos, cooperatives, and I find that property management is really, really easy in that I collect money and pay bills, but it gets hard when I have to deal with water. It gets very hard because the water come off the roof and sometimes come in and sometimes it goes underground and come up through water systems and come up through the basements and water can, can really destroy it. But I have never thought about it when it comes down and picks up pollutants from the air. Then when it hits that roof or hits the parking lot, in the parking lot there's cars that spill oil and it picks up that oil and goes down into some kind of system that the city may have and it's some kind of drainage system, and then it hits over into Potomac, Potomac River or Chesapeake Bay or an, over, over by Anacostia, and then it has all those pollution. I never thought it through like that, and I think most of the people listening probably would not have either. And the way you fix it, that's interesting. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, as as has been the case with a lot of aspects of uh, of man's development and moving forward, we didn't think 
all these issues through. The old way of managing stormwater used to be let's collect it all together as quickly as we can, let's dump it in a pipe, and then dump it into a receiving water body somewhere, and it's gone. We don't have to worry about it. Well, we've, yeah. we've now learned that that is a unfortunately oversimplistic uh, view, because in doing that, we're not recharging our aquifers, we're not feeding our plants. You, you've got people who are, on the one hand, dumping stormwater overboard, and then the next day they're paying money to irrigate their landscaping. So there are simpler methods. What, what we're doing is going, going backwards to simpler methods to manage uh, this stormwater in a way that reduces its impacts, reduces the pollutants, and just, just the flow impacts. You think of a large parking lot with some big buildings in it, you collect all that water, dump it in a pipe, and you've got a bunch of other big parking lots dumping water in the same pipe. At the end of that pipe, you've got a cannon of water flying out, uh, eroding the stream bank in the receiving water, creating turbidity, and all the pollutants going out. Turbidity is, is what we call the resuspended mud and the fine little solids that cloud the water and make it look like chocolate milk after a rain instead of looking like a nice okay. clear water. And that Andrew, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you came back and find that because I was going to have to ask you because it was okay. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it looked like chocolate milk. I, think, I, I appreciate it. I got a view. It always does look very dirty after rain. If you go down by the mall to look at the Potomac after it rains, it looks filthy and dirty between the, the chocolate milk, the, the mud, if you will, and the, the uh, uh, branches of trees and so forth that's in the water. So, yeah, but I, okay. All right. Thanks for defining this for us. How did you end up getting into this? Well, I, actually, I've been uh, working in the water and playing in the water and living in and around the water my whole life. Uh, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology. I put myself through school uh, capturing, uh, diving, you know, fishermen, uh, catching shellfish and, uh, and various fin fish and things. And so I've had the pleasure or the blessing of uh, experiencing these things very firsthand, watching the degradation of our water bodies. And so most of my career has kind of been following these pollutants back up from the edge of the water bodies to where they're coming from. And today, what we call non-point source pollution, which is the stormwater, the rainwater. It doesn't fall out of a pipe from somebody's operation. It's falling all over the place. And sometimes it winds up in a pipe because it was collected. Sometimes it's just sheet flow uh, going into a system. That's our biggest area of increasing pollutant load to our surface water bodies. So it, it's our biggest area of impacts. Andrew, are you saying nine, N-I-N-E point? No, 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 non-point. N-O-N. N-O-N. Okay. Because it just, the rain falls everywhere equally, and it, uh, it doesn't come out. Point source pollution is when, when you have an industry and they have three pipes that come out of them. Those are called outfalls, and they will be regulated specifically, and they're easy to check because you know what's going into them and what's, you oh, got what's it. coming out of them. So in a regulatory scheme, that's called point source pollution. But so you know the point of where the solution is coming from in the point. Correct. But in the non-point, you don't know where it's the – you don't have a point. You can just go put your finger and say it's coming from here. Right. Okay. All right. Got it. And, and so this regulation is now looking at the non-NON point system to see where these pollutants are coming from and what you must do to solve it. Exactly. And because this is the new – a focus not only of the regulatory agencies of the EPA and then the EPA mandate comes down to the states and the local governments. We're, we're experiencing this here in the Chesapeake Bay region, but over time, these same laws, these same models are going to be applied all the way across the country in all the various watersheds that we have. So there, that's why it's so important that as we move forward, here in the Chesapeake Bay watershed and in the sub-watersheds of the Washington metropolitan region, we start to get these issues right because we're going to be – we're setting the stage to lead the charge on how to fix these problems across the whole now, country. When you, 
when you say a watershed, what com- what composes a watershed? Okay, yeah, that. Thank you for asking that one, Vernon, because this is another part. It, all of this stuff is so simple; it's just people don't think of it. Everywhere is a watershed, and by that I mean wherever you live, that it is slanted to some degree to some surface water body somewhere. So, if you drew a line around all the high points that surrounded a given location, at the bottom of that circle that you make or that oblong, you're going to find a stream or a river or something. And everything within that circle is that river's watershed. So right around here, we've got the watersheds of the Potomac River and the Anacostia River as the primary. And then we also have the Patuxent River right here in the uh, in the immediate Washington metropolitan region. You get out into Anne Arundel County and we've got another five rivers there. But And then watersheds, you've got big watersheds and then littler ones that we call sub-watersheds, but the logic and theory is always the same. It's where the water flows to in a given area. Okay, so word water is it's shared it comes down off the mountaintops and it goes into this creek and the creek goes into a, a river or something so everywhere that the water comes off the mountaintops are these higher plains and it sheds into the streams that's the watershed yes and so but, but you, you, let me help with a you're right about how it sheds as in sloughs off and flows but this is a shed like the shed in the backyard where you store stuff this water is being stored to some degree in the water shed. If the water shed is functioning properly, it's being stored in the ground and in the little puddles and in the small streams, and it's taking its time to move through while it's getting filtered and cleaned and feeding the plants and providing habitat. And in other places, the water shed doesn't have any storage capacity left, so we cycle it very quickly uh, into the receiving water body. Got it. Okay. Okay. With all of the filtered, uh, with with all of the contaminants. Right. It didn't take the time to cool it off and to filter it out. But this is a very interesting. Thank you for coming on and sharing this information with us. Um, <clears throat> we have to go into our first break. So if anybody out there would have any comments about this particular community problem, and it's a Washington, D.C. metropolitan problem. It gets into the Mississippi, all of that. But that's another watershed. Uh, so if you have any questions about this particular problem, and then we'll get into how a cooperative is helping to solve this community problem. And that's what we said co-ops do. They find a community problem. People band together and come and form a business and help to solve the problem. You can call in at 1-800-450-7876. With any questions or comments to Mr. Andrew Gard or myself. But don't touch the dial. We'll be right back after we get the traffic and the weather and the news. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. everybody. This is Byron Oaks, and our, my guest today is Mr. Andrew Gartz, who is talking to us about watershed, water, rainwater going into creeks and the Potomac River, the Anacostia River, River, and how water goes naturally going through the soil, feeding the plants, getting filtered from any pollutants that they may have picked up in the air or on the ground coming down, and it gets filtered and it goes through the streams, and then it... Um, Condensate and goes back up to the clouds and starts to cycle all the way over. But then we have, when we have man comes in and we build roads and we build parking lots and we build buildings and with, with rooftops, the rainwater comes down. It doesn't go through the dirt. It just goes through the, off the, off the uh, roofs into the gutters and down into the, to the river. And it's, it keeps its pollutants and everything. It goes very fast. Um, and so we're talking about how we can make this rainwater more environmental friendly. So the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, NCB's missions to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities 
that are economically challenged. And a lot of economically challenged communities are communities where brown and black folks live in. And so their charter is to help our communities solve our problems. And co-ops are just a a form that people come together and help each other to solve community problems. Um, Mr. Gart, you, you said you were a marine biologist. How did you come into that field? Well, it uh, it became of strong interest of mine. I grew up uh, on the coast up in uh, Massachusetts, so I had the uh, pleasure of spending a lot of time down at the ocean and in coves and in tidal pools, and I was always just fascinated by the uh, diversity and the ecology of these ecosystems, and that I, I just developed a passion for that and the bigger ecosystems that uh, sort of drive our whole, our whole life on Earth. And uh, so that that got me started down this road, and fortunately, I haven't had to look back a whole lot. So you enjoy what you do? Yes, I do, because uh, I get to, I believe in the big picture, I get to really help people uh, enjoy a better quality of life on a small planet. And that's kind of my personal mission. Okay. <laughs> so I like that mission, uh, okay, helping people have a better quality of life. So tell me how you are attacking this, uh, let's say, 10 to 8 to $12 billion industry. How, how do you, where are you getting started? How are you getting started? And this is Prince George's County starting this solution? Well, no, this was actually uh, the idea of a group of um, philanthropic organizations and socially oriented organizations uh, who got together and they created an initiative called the Community Wealth Building Initiative. And they identified stormwater as a great opportunity to create jobs, good jobs with real growth potential where we could bring in um, people from our disadvantaged communities and give them hope again for, for a real career opportunity. Um, and the kind of wealth that we're talking about here, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, yachts and multiple cars and more houses than you can count and gold chains. I'm talking about the wealth of being able to get up Monday morning and know you've got a good job that you go to and you go Monday through Friday and you get home Friday and you're tired enough to fall in front of the fall asleep in front of the TV set, knowing that your bills are going to be covered and uh, you know knowing that your life is is on track. That's real wealth. That's the American dream wealth. And you know, as you described that, when I recalled a person that was on online on on the radio program from NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association, talking about farmers in Ghana, I believe it was. It was an African country, and they, you had a farmer who was in the co-op, and you had a farmer that was not in the co-op. And the farmer in the co-op had better uh, vegetables because they had education and knowledge and training. Um, and when he was asked what was the difference about being in a co-op, I was surprised at his answer because I thought he was going to talk about, you know, having better uh, product and having better ways of selling the product and all that. He said that he didn't have to worry about feeding his family all year. That, that before that, before they came in a co-op, he didn't have enough food for the family for the year. I would assume that he had enough food while they were growing seasons, but in a non-growing season, he didn't have enough. And he had something left over at the end of the year. So he had savings. That was real wealth. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Real wealth is being able to meet your needs, needs, not wants. That was the stuff you talked about, uh, two or three houses or four or five cars. No, just meet your needs and have something left over so you can begin to save for problems or education for your children and so forth. So I got the wealth. I was going to come back and ask you. I'm glad you defined that before I, before I had a chance to ask you about it. So it's called Community Wealth Building Initiative. Yes, and, and they uh, decided they saw stormwater as a low barrier to entry kind of uh, profession area that has great growth potential. And because there's, there's going to be so much money that has to be spent 
to address stormwater. And the best way to address stormwater, as we discussed earlier, is it, basically we're, we're trying to learn how to be beavers again. We're trying to make natural systems, construct them wherever we can to manage this stormwater. And so these systems, what we call low-impact development and green infrastructure systems, require maintenance and they require a little nurturing over time. So these are professions and careers that can start at a low entry level and the sky is the limit for where they can go. And so with the backing of uh, CWBI, we have the Community Wealth Building Initiative, we've started the Community Clean Water Management Group to hire people from our forgotten and neglected communities, put them to work with good jobs, with real development and real future potential. Sir, that is fantastic. It just, I, just, I feel so great when I listen to that last sentence or two. People that normally don't have the ability to grow because either they haven't had the education or haven't had the ability or Nobody told them, and now they find themselves, and this is why I like co-op, people that find themselves either with a family and no way of supporting them or having responsibilities in no way and no way of jobs that they can come into this organization and learn and grow, and you say the sky is the limit. I got it. Wonderful. And it, it's what I what I like to think. It's sort of like killing three birds with one stone, and then you get the stone back at the end because we've got – this public spend that has to happen to address this stormwater pollution. And we're taking that spend and leveraging it into the community to give these people these good jobs to, so that they build real homes within their community. And then we're also giving them an education and a respect and an understanding, like where we started this conversation, about what the environment really is, how it's all around them in every factor of their life and how something as simple as the rain is a big picture of their world. And this is going to help them improve their quality of life. And we get the stone back because as we build up these communities, these people become stronger members of their communities. They're paying taxes. They're really involved in the life of their community and its improvement. So the public has to spend the money to solve the problem. You find this group that solves the problem, the community Wealth Building Initiative, and it's called Community, what's the name of the organization? Community, Community Clean Water Management Group, or CCMG. Community Clean Water Management Group. And they get education. Um, they also, with the education and the jobs, they create respect and, I would say, self-worth. Oh, yes. They know that they have value, and that gives a whole different way. That's the hope. And... And then, because they are they jobs and they they have paid income taxes, and if they buy property, uh, property taxes, they're giving money back to the coffers that that the money came from in the first place. Wonderful. So you just created the like the water system here, a, a, a flow or circle. Exactly, and they get to because they've got a good job, they can count on you. You know, look at look at what's happening. You've got people who want to work, and they're carrying you know two or sometimes three part time jobs. They don't know what their schedule is going to be from day to day. They they have to stumble to arrange childcare and all this kind of stuff. What we're trying to do is put a solid floor back under these people's lives, so that they got the opportunity to build their real world and build their real lives up again. And then that helps the, that helps the community. They can then spend time with their children. They spend money back into the community. They help the community association uh, do its own little cleanups. I I get goosebumps on me when you talk, sir. This is fascinating. This is one of the reasons that I like this show and I like the cooperative environment. And it's you're solving an environmental problem and a people problem all at the same time. And a community problem uh, where you get a much better, much more solid community with folks that have self-worth, that know that, that they can feed their families, um, creating um, a more stable community. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Now, we, we're, we're going to have to take another break, <laughs> and this is the second one. And when we come back, I want to talk more about the Community Clean Water Management Group and what you're doing and how you're doing it. 
and we'll get into later on the principles of cooperatives. Um, but we'll be right back. Again, if you have any questions or comments, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. We'll be right back. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. It's wonderful Thursday morning. We have Mr. Andrew Gartz, uh, who is our guest today, talking about stormwater management in and around the Chesapeake watershed area. You know, the values of a cooperative are self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, solidarity, ethical values. And in the tradition of the founders of the cooperative uh, movement, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, self, uh, social responsibility, caring for others. And everything that I've heard Mr. Garth talk about in these first two sections are these kinds of values uh, is what the Community Clean Water Management Group is doing, this organization, a CCWMG, which he is the executive director of. So can you tell us about, um, well, first off, can you, you said a CWBI, the Community Wealth Building Initiative, was what are some of the people that were in this group that helped start this CCWMG. Well, uh, the Community Wealth Building Initiative is spearheaded by City First Enterprises and supported by a number of, of uh, significant local uh, philanthropic organizations like the Community Health Foundation and the uh, Community Foundation of the National Capital Region. And you know, these groups have been trying to target this wealth gap and how do we bring our disenfranchised communities back into the rest of the community and, and how can we help them attain as as you pointed out you know self-help and get responsibility and get a vision back again of the american dream that's actually attainable for them and uh so they had identified stormwater as as one of a number of areas but as a first and moving area where there's a fairly low barrier to entry to get people started. But, but as I mentioned before, the advancement potential becomes very huge if people wish to continue and expand their education. Now, we're bringing people in and we're going to be training them on uh, the nuts and bolts of the initial part of stormwater facility maintenance, uh, inspection, and monitoring programs. But well, Andrew, look, can you, can you, uh, now I'm going to ask you, the uh, Community Clean Water Management Group, what kind of organization is it? And it, have you already formed it? Is it up yes. and running? Yes, we're, we're uh, already formed, and we're a, a for-profit corporation. And this makes us a little, a little different from a co-op. And I've got to apologize here a little bit because, as you've noticed, I, I'm an earth scientist, a, a technical scientist that way. I'm not a real good social scientist, but I, I understand that game a little bit. So I might use some of the wrong words here, but so feel free to correct me. But we're a little different from a co-op in that CCMG is being built up, and it will be employee-owned, and it will be employee-controlled, and it will use profit sharing to get the benefits of the accomplishments of our good works financially back to the employees. So CCMG is controlled by and owned by a board of directors, and that board of directors in time is going to be comprised entirely of employees of CCMG. So every your democracy component, everybody is represented uh, through the board by their fellow employees. And the board okay. makes decisions including profit sharing as we have profits to share towards the end of the year or quarterly. That's, that's a detail we still have to work out. 
Well, I'm, uh, later on, either this segment or the next, I want to talk about the principles of, of a co-op. And um, owned and control are two of the major ones that the co-op has to be owned. And in order to be a co-op, it has to be owned and controlled by the, in this case, employees, if it's a worker-owned cooperative. Um, so so you, you're up and running since 2014. and Well, we were established in 2014. We didn't really start rolling till March of 2015. That's when I okay. came on board. And, and we're still getting it rolling. But please continue. Okay. So the, 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 the question was how many employees do you have now? Or do you have contracts? That you have business now? We, we are, like I said, we're just getting started. What mm-hmm. we've done is we're focusing in Prince George's County because Prince George's County has a large incentive component under its clean water contract, its approach to addressing clean water, and, and their social component parallels our mission perfectly. So we are, are starting there um, to make things happen. We have just gotten our first contract in place under. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank okay. Thank you. And that's under the Prince George's County um, Clean Water Partnership, which you may have heard about. This is a public private partnership, which has been engaged between the county and some private uh, companies to figure out a very efficient way to not only address these stormwater needs, which is a big challenge, but to also make sure some of that spend gets into the community and that people from the community are getting employed in these jobs. So yeah. that's so it's perfect for us. So you've got your first contract, and how many employees are you going to be hiring? Well, I'm hoping to bring on four or five over the next couple of months. Uh, Unfortunately, the contract took a while, as is often the case. The contract took a while to get started and rolling, and I'm going to be getting into the winter time, which is the hardest time uh, to keep people moving. So I've got to juggle around that. One thing I'm not going to do is hire people just to lay them off. I'm, I want to hire people and have them part of the system and be able to stay with the system. And as they get more trained, uh, when cold weather comes in, it's easier for me to put them on other types of projects. So I'm, I'm juggling a little bit there, but I hope to in the next few months uh, start bringing on uh, employees. How will you be looking for people or is there somewhere if somebody is looking for something, if they have any experience in it or from the neighborhood and want to get it, that they could contact you? or Well, you can always contact me uh, directly. My email address is andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, at C-C-M-G dot M-E. But we have workforce development partners, as we're calling them. These are a bunch of groups who are working with our disenfranchised communities, trying to find places to put them. And they are, uh, I'm working with them to help develop training programs. There's uh, Prince George's Green, which is a a new nonprofit that is um, doing training programs in stormwater, trying to get returning citizens, uh, veterans, Um, The chronically unemployed, we're working with the Prince George's County Economic Development Commission, uh, who has a litany of individuals who want to turn their life around and want to get some good jobs. So we are networking with these training partners to find the people who have got the right mindset and are are ready to go to work. Uh, this this is such good news to me. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with with great information of solving environmental needs and people needs all at the same time, and doing it with like you said, it's it's it has the cooperative principles. Um, you don't call yourself a cooperative. It's not in your name. No, um, everyday clean water management group. Yeah, and this is. Again, this is, might be reflected in, in my lack of knowledge of, of these exact systems. As I understand, in a cooperative, everybody owns a piece. 
Well, in this, we're sort of the, maybe we're the next step up or we're the next step right beside. To, to make it happen, the, the board will technically own the company, but the board's job is to steer, grow, manage, and develop the company so that there are profits that can be reinvested in the people, not just, you know, your typical capitalist model is a, a company comes into an area, gets a big government contract, and the fat cats at the top of the company fill their pockets with money, and they hire a whole bunch of junior people, and they bump them out as quick as they can as contracts uh, end or change. This is a different kind of model. As we grow this company and as we start making money, one of the areas where we're going to reinvest our profits is in our people. So in that way, it is very much like a cooperative. Everyone has ownership of what we're doing and the quality of work that we're doing because as we do good jobs, uh, we'll make good money and we'll be hired back again to do more of it. We are going to be providing good quality services at a competitive price. That one is hiring CCMG, the community group, is going to be a fringe benefit to them. The quality of work that we're going to be delivering is going to be every bit as good as anyone out there. If not better, because if what I have noticed, uh, and at least I've heard a lot on this program about, is once the employees know that they get the benefit if the profit, if the service is good, if the products that they produce are good, then they get dividends or they get uh, not only their salary, but they can create wealth by getting a, a portion of the profits back. Then they take an ownership role. They they don't just become an employee. They are, are an owner. They know their owner. So they begin to make different kinds of decisions about how they manage their time and how good a job that they do so that everybody does, in fact, profit. That's one of the reasons I like co-ops. Exactly. But it's not easy. No. It's not easy to get people to change their attitude and work together uh, to the good of the group. That's that's one of the challenges. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the, the beauty and the simplicity of the work and to an extent even my own passion is going to help people understand that working hard is working for themselves, doing it right is benefiting themselves, and the guy right beside him, helping him out or her out, is helping themselves out. Again, that's why I like co-ops, Is the, and I got this at housing co-ops. Uh, I've, I've been in meetings, board meetings, where, uh, and just to give you a sense of it, for a housing co-op, every apartment owner, if you will, dweller, the, they own a part of the, the, the building. And so they end up, all of the members of the co-op, all of the apartment owners, the unit owners, they hire, I mean, they vote, that's the democratic control, they vote for the board of directors and the board of directors then um, make sure that the policies are implemented. And sometimes the board of directors creates policy, sometimes the members create policies. So they own it, the building, and they control it through the board of directors. And I've had some properties at the end of the year, if they've made more money than they need, they'll give back a dividend. I, one would give back an equivalent to one month's rent, if you will, one month's carrying charge. Uh, but I've, I've watched people. I have a 16-unit uh, senior co-op, and I would imagine that at one point, the highest education was high school education. But these seniors, very, very serious, and they have common sense. And they made sure that the policies they are they make sure the policies are implemented correctly. They make sure I do my job in terms of management, and they run a very 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 great building. They do it extremely well, and not with a lot of education. I think I think we've got a couple of people in there now. I don't know one is a retired school teacher. <laughs> Excuse me to have some education, but you don't need education to run a business. <laughs> You need good common sense. Yep. And that's very similar to the way CCMG is working. Our board's charge is to lead things so that the company keeps growing, so that the dividends from the good work the company is doing goes back into the people's pockets and to growing the company and and helps people maintain the vision. Yes. Yeah. 
real ownership and control. Okay, so we're going to take our final break. We're almost at your Andrew. The hour goes by very quickly. Um, and we'll take our last break. We'll come back. I'm going to talk about some of the principles of co-ops to see which ones are working for you and so forth. And I've got a real good sense of your, your work right now. I hope everybody else out there does. We're taking our last break. Please don't touch it now. We'll be right back talking to Andrew Gartz. updates on the web at woldcnews.com. You know, WOL's motto is information is power, and that's the reason that NCB is sponsoring this program. Because if you get the power, the information, and if you act on that information, you can do the kinds of things that Mr. Andrew Garth is talking about, and that is having control over your life, uh, getting creating wealth. NCB's uh, customers are cooperatives such as grocery wholesalers, uh, purchasing co-ops, or housing co-ops. And some of their other customers have the spirit of cooperation driven by democratic organizing principles. They may be Alaskan or Native American enterprises, which by their very nature are member-run and member-owned and what we're talking to Mr. Garth about <clears throat> is the Community Clean Water Management Group that is owned and controlled by the employees, and they get their dividends. So what, what I wanted to talk about now, Andrew, are some of the principles of cooperative. There are seven principles, and the first one is volunteer and open membership, that anybody can be a part of it. Um, and after being an African-American, I really appreciate that because there's uh, too many times that we are, have been left out in the American dream. So uh, co-ops really help with that. The second one is democratic member control, one member, one vote. And you've already talked about, Andrew, the third one, which is economic member, uh, where the members get economic uh, re uh, return off of. They get part of the dividend. Sometimes they will have to put money up to be a member, and they also, if money is made, Autonomy and, and independence, the fourth one, that they make the decision. You have a board of directors that are not the members right now, but eventually they will be the members, the, uh, the workers, the employees. And the fifth principle I want to spend a little bit of time on because this is my, my favorite principle is education, training, and information, where the cooperatives are the people, the cooperators are trained uh, both in terms of how to run a business and when this was first made in the 1850s, 1844, I believe, they also worked every day, like reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, it is whatever education is needed so that you can have an informed um, membership so that when they vote, they have the information. And, and we found that with cooperators – uh, get to be very much involved in the community, not only in the company, but in the community. So what kind of education are you going to be providing uh, to the employees here? Well, uh, we're going to be training them on the um, requirements of doing the job of stormwater management. We're also I talked about our, uh, our workforce partners. Those are they're doing sort of um, initial training to help bring people in, especially transitioning individuals or, or even our veterans who are coming from one world and they want to get into uh, the modern world with the American dream. So we're, we're taking individuals from there, but we're willing to help mentor them and train them in the ABCs of stormwater management and facility management. And then from there, we're going to be exposing them to additional training and additional skills that they can learn should they want to, uh, to become, uh, you know, stronger professionals in this arena of stormwater management. You know, I would, I would encourage you to also look at the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. Um, I was going to a training uh, there, a meeting of the eastern region of this group, and it was up in Massachusetts. I was not able to go because of I, I wasn't feeling very well, but one of my employees went up, 
And there's a lot of training on how to run a business and how to run a co-op, um, cooperative worker business. So you also might want to look at that to uh, ways of getting into this conversation uh, when people start becoming on the board, when you get workers becoming on the board, what does that entail? And we had the Equal Exchange on last December. We had them on for three weeks. It's a worker cooperative where they, they believe in fair trade uh, and they buy a lot of products for farmers throughout Africa and Latin America, small farmers. And we had them on. And one of the things that came out of the conversation was that for worker cooperative, where you, you're saying that they would be uh, board members, uh, one gentleman said that he would be in one meeting at like 10 o'clock in a day and his boss uh, would be telling him what to do, you know, because he was in, in sales and boss would tell him. And then the next, maybe at one o'clock, he's in the meeting and he's the, uh, at one point, he was the chairman of the board and he would be telling his boss what to do. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> Rose flipped and he said, learning how to, which meeting you're in and what, what role you're playing and, who has what to do? And he said it. Uh, so all kinds of things like that. He said dynamics are wonderful once people learn what it is they're doing and how they're doing and how they play their different roles. So there's a lot to go into this. And it's, that's why I said I asked uh, one lady on uh, when we first got started about a year, year nine months now we've been on this program. I asked her, the co-ops are so great. Why aren't there more? And she said because it's hard work. This is not easy work to get people to change their attitude from an employee, from a worker to an owner, yeah. from an employee to an owner. So, and then everything else you have to teach them, just like that farmer had to, in Ghana, he had to learn all of the ways of creating better crops. Mm-hmm. And he learned it. So you, all of the things that you have to do to manage storm water, rain water, um, and become a beaver is what I heard you say. Uh, okay. But but also those those social interactions. That's what I meant when I was saying um, uh, the other aspects of of mentoring people along. Those social skills of of how to put all these pieces together, how to interact with each other, how to be the uh, the guy taking direction at one point and the guy giving direction at the other point, even if it's the same two parties working back and forth. And and another area I just want to touch on quickly, you were talking about the education and training. Now, I I talked about how the stormwater management need is going to spread like a brush fire across the whole country. This is a big, big area. And currently there is no certification that people can obtain to say, hey, I'm to separate themselves from the crowd. You know, mm-hmm. I'm certified in stormwater facility maintenance and, and management. You know, I give me that job. They've been working for me for two or three years, and they want to move to Oregon because their daughter's going to go to school there because they can now finally send her there. Um, it, there's no, no certification program, but we're working with some other players, uh, primarily the Center for Watershed Protection, to develop a program to have a certified training program so that our people have something portable to take with them because we we don't need to own these folks forever. If we can teach them to be independent, if we can teach them to start their own business and go ahead, we're going to help them do that. That, That's part of the mentoring. That's part of the real community wealth building. Absolutely. You know, um, when you thought I'm going to go back to your social part, one of the things that one has to learn in a co-op is how to resolve issues, conflict management, um, because you got the group making decisions that's best for the group, not for an individual. So when you start that, and that, that is one of the things that gets to be difficult. I had a lady on a program named Ruthie Wilder who um, used to work for, she's retired now, but she worked for the like the metro of Baltimore. And she said that learning the skills in the co-op helped her in her personal life. Well, I really thought, and I told her this later, I thought she was saying that it helped her with her husband, that they could help solve problems together, okay? She was more talking about the finances, that when she learned about how to operate a co-op financially, it also helped her to how to manage her own household financially. 
So these skills, uh, and I've also heard of people learning the skills of bookkeeping in in a co-op, that they could go then and get a job in bookkeeping, or in the case of watershed maintenance or um, uh, maintenance in a housing co-op. If you, I mean, in a housing co-op, if you learn maintenance, you can go out and do maintenance other places. So these skills are transferable, whether or not they are people skills, how to get a loan. Even there's going to be conflict with, between any two people. We don't think alike. We weren't raised alike. We don't look alike. So there's going to be conflict. Is how do you manage them, resolve them that's best for the group, and whether it's finances or or a skill set like watershed management, facilities management. Those are this is great, great stuff. Yeah, and and thank you for pointing pointing that out. I, I know you've got a background in business, but yeah, I I fully expect. It's going to be a three-dimensional education that we're going to be trying to provide our people because they're going to participate in all aspects of the company, in economics of a business, economics of your home. It's all, it's all learning how all these pieces go together. We only have another minute or so. and Let me just say the sixth principle is cooperation among cooperatives, and that would be your group working with housing co-ops or credit unions or um, – any other kind of grocery co-ops so that, that people are working. And this is what you'll find when you go to conferences is that people really share information. There's there's no lack of sharing. People really help each other. And the seventh principle is that what you're already doing in the business that's concerned for community, the sustained development of communities. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, in the last 30 seconds, what would you like to leave the, the audience to know? Just that, uh, you know, stormwater management is a very positive thing for all of us, and it's a, it's a little piece of us uh, of developing a whole new paradigm for living a little lighter on the land. It's not something to be fought. It's something to be embraced. There's an opportunity here for, uh, for growth, uh, for wealth building, and we're trying to lead that charge. Thank you, sir. You're doing a great job. I appreciate your coming on, coming to the studio today. And giving us information, I've learned a lot, so I appreciate it. And I thank you very much for what you're doing for our planet. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to have gotten the message out a little bit. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next Thursday. This is Brian Oaks. Bye now. 1450 WOL.